0: Um, We're going to come and consider the things of God over the summer. um, Those of you who've been around a little bit and part of the church, uh, you'll perhaps know uh, that we've been considering one of those enormous whopping great big books in the Bible that you probably see if you've kind of leafed through or glance through, and you probably are a bit scared by it, if you're anything like me, the book of Isaiah. It's about as big as it gets in the Bible, and um, if you've ever tried to just kind of plow into it from the start to the end, well, good on you. Um, You've no doubt found some incredible things in there, but you might well have found it quite daunting as well. Um, We as a church have been in it over five summers, um, which either sounds like a real treat for some people, or just really... You know, terrible for other people, but it's all right, we can say that. Um, I, I was with somebody um, this week and we were chatting, and they said to me, To be honest, Isaiah's not really a book that I get on with very well. And, uh, and, and they, they, they just said it to me, and I was like, That's all right, you know, it's okay. Um, I think a lot of us, we don't, um, which is why we get these opportunities as a church to unpack the word of God together and to see what God might say to us. We know. And the scriptures teaches 2 Timothy 3.16 that all of the Bible, all of these scriptures are breathed out by God. This is not just some accidental writings. This is not just people's best ideas. This is the very life breath of God from him to you and me. And they're useful. Every single little bit of it is useful for us. So we're going to find out why. This guy Isaiah is what we call a prophet. Um, Really simply that means that he um, heard or or was led to understand by the Spirit of God some things of God that would otherwise be totally unknown. But God spoke them or or revealed them into his life so that he might then share them with the people of God. As if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, don't for a moment think that this is just some cold kind of transactional thing. Don't for a moment think that Christianity is about following some rules and regulations or attending some buildings or doing some kind of things. Christianity, there's loads of kind of practice that flows from it. But it's at its heart about knowing that we have a God who wants to speak to us and who wants to speak life to us and who wants to hear us respond to him let me tell you the first way that you respond to God when you realise that he's talking to you the first way you need to respond to God is to recognise that you need him and in recognising that here's your very first best prayer God help me has anybody ever prayed that prayer? do you realise that it's been probably the best prayer you've ever prayed? help me just help me, I need you God and if I can encourage you if you've never got to that place then maybe just be a little bit open to allow God to lead you to that place today God help me because he does wonderfully he does and then he invites us into this incredible relationship with him where we realise that he is the centre of everything and we're made to have our lives centred upon him And, uh, and we go from there God is revealing things. And this book of Isaiah is exactly that. It's the revelation of God's word to God's people so that God's people might be more like him and show him in the world. You and I, we're made to reveal God's glory. We're made to shine with his light. We're made to make a difference in this world, which is an incredible prospect for us. And last week, um, we, um, we were in, in fact, the, the previous chapter, chapter 60, which begins with the wonderful words of, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of your Lord has risen upon you. God's glory just shining upon his people. And, and there's a sense within that chapter, within those uh, words of God, that he's going to change his world. In the days that Isaiah was, was writing these words or speaking these words to God's people, they were aware that they really needed change. Their world was a world of crisis. and Alliances have been made in times of crisis that were, that were faltering and failing. The best of human efforts was never good enough. And the people of God, oftentimes going away from God in their desperation, in their sinfulness, in their brokenness, they found that their circumstances got worse and worse and worse. You know, these people were people whose brokenness would come to the point of exile. They would be separated from the land of promise. And they would be desperately unable to change their circumstances. You ever been in a place like that? where everything seems to have gone terribly wrong and you're not sure there's anything that you can do about it. Some of the guys, we were talking about football transfers before we begun our Sunday gathering this morning. And we're talking about some of the crazy figures that get bandied about. And uh, Everton... They've been spending big, haven't they? We've got any Evertonians in the house this morning? Just two people who are willing to admit um, to supporting Everton. If I said have we got any Tranmere fans, we might have even less. I don't know. Um, one very, very uh, proud Tranmere fan. But they've been spending tr- Everton. They've been spending these huge sums of money uh, to bring in people. It pales into insignificance compared to what Manchester United and Man City pay these days, don't they? And a, a defender, uh, just a young chap. Unproven 80 million quid. Can you imagine? 80 million for Harry Maguire. Some of you are looking at me like you've got no idea what I'm talking about. I'm going to carry on anyway. Uh, But they bring in these people and they've got these grand plans, these incredible schemes that somehow this is going to be the year. Yeah? And in spite of the fact that we know that there are probably like six or seven clubs who all want a top four spot. And my maths isn't great, but seven doesn't go into four. And of those four, they all think they're going to win it, but four doesn't go into one, does it? And they've all got these grand plans, and we all know that, by God's grace, Liverpool are going to win the league this year. We know this, don't we? And everyone else just needs to get on board. (laughs) The couple of Evertonians are shaking their heads at me at the moment. But I think we can all agree that Tranmere are going to get promoted again, so that's okay. Um, No? Okay. Well, uh, glories and visions and all these things are kind of put before us if you're a fan of a sporting club. But in every kind of sphere of life, glories and visions and promises are put before us. You know, your managers at work, they tell you, oh, we've got a great plan to make it better. And because you're not at all cynical, you totally believe them. Uh, you know, sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Uh, or politicians, they tell us, oh, we've got this new way of doing things. It's all going to be great. And because you're not at all cynical, you totally. No, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, every- all these glories, all the But turning the promise into reality, well, it always proves harder, doesn't it? Seeing. The dream come to be the experience is much tougher. What we're seeing in the book of Isaiah, particularly as we transition from chapter 60, where actually we're not just introduced to a light, a glory, but we're introduced to one who is the light, who is the glory, it's Jesus himself. Now moving into what we had read to us this morning, chapter 61, we're starting to see how is this going to happen? I don't know what kind of personality type you are, but I want to know some nuts and bolts. I want to know how are things going to happen. I have a tendency to rush towards that kind of thing, to kind of strategies and schemes and plots and plans and all this kind of stuff. Sometimes I just have to resist that a little bit in the things of God because it's not actually about me. Uh, There's a relief. But God has a plan. He has a purpose. He's going to outwork it. There's nothing that has escaped his attention. You know, sometimes in our lives, you know, we feel like maybe somehow we're, you know, we're just unseen or unknown by God. Maybe we find ourselves in times of sin or where we perhaps have separated ourselves from God. And we're just like Adam and Eve in the garden. And, And they sinned. They did what God had told them not to do. And they ruptured relationship with Him by doing that. And they thought, well, what are we going to do? Because we're ashamed by these things that are now, we see it now, and we're ashamed. And they hid behind a bush. Because God can't see behind bushes. I don't know. Just the other day, we were in the park with the kids. And, um, and we, we decided to play a little bit of hide and seek, Judah and I. And, um, and he's kind of learning the game. And so uh, he sent me off to, to hide first. And, um, and, he, and he started counting. He's pretty good at counting, but he doesn't know what it represents. Um, so he can number the numbers, but he has no idea why he's doing it. Um, and so I went off and hid behind a tree while he just watched me the whole time. And so he watched me go and hide behind this tree. And I, I chose quite a substantial tree because I'm not as skinny as I once was. But, um, but it doesn't help if he's just kind of watched you go all the way. And so then halfway through his counting to 10, he just came and charged over and found me. Um, but then it kind of got better than that because he, we then had to swap and I had to go and count. But he, he announced this to me by, it's your turn, Daddy, you go and count. I'm going to hide here and then he told me he was going to hide in that exact same spot and so that's how the game went um, but he had a plan because when I came to find him behind that tree he just legged it and ran off so he, he kind of knew what he was doing but you know, we, we think that somehow God's not really seeing us he's not somehow perceiving where we're at or what's going on in our lives have you been hiding from God? Have you been just wandering off? And, and, and maybe we wander off because of sin, because of our own brokenness, because of failure or, or what we perceive as our own failure. You haven't fooled God. Can I say that? And I don't mean that to come across as, as some sort of accusation. But I, actually, can I, I just give this to you as a freedom? Um, you, you haven't hidden from God, but that's a good thing because he's your only hope or maybe this morning you're here and you feel like the things of the world are just weighing upon you and there's so many troubles and so many problems and all these kinds of things and maybe maybe you feel like god's just put a bush on top of you and it's not like you've been hiding behind a bush but god somehow just chucked one on your head and somehow he's not seeing you anymore can i say that's not true either he sees you where you are and he has a plan of salvation how do I know this? Because Jesus came into the world. Do you know this to be true? He did. He did. And you know the ultimate glory of his plan of salvation is he's, he goes to a cross. And it's a place of pain and suffering. And the reason for that is because our wrongdoing brings pain and suffering. It demands justice. For all that we do wrong. And Jesus takes all of it. All of it. For you and for me. He has a plan, and his plan is good. Right here in what we've read in the book of Isaiah, we see some things that are going to come because of the plan of God. Isaiah speaks to people that are in a world that is broken and desperate, and they know that they need him. You know, we fool ourselves if we think we don't need Jesus. And, you know, it sounds stupid. Why would we fool ourselves It's human nature. It's human nature. We fool ourselves all the time. All the time. We do it all the time. It's painful to look upon problems, difficulties. It's painful sometimes to acknowledge kind of ill health or the sickness within a loved one. It's it's, it's not nice. It's painful. It's painful when we see people and they're journeying and their bodies are decaying and and we know they're going to die. It's painful when circumstances, they come upon us and, and things are so tough or so hard, relationships maybe we break down, finances are strained. These things are painful and, we, and so we fool ourselves. We do it all the time. Can I urge you this morning, don't fool yourself. It's God's not fooled and he has a hope for you. He has a plan for you. And His invitation this morning is, how much longer will you go on fooling yourself? Or will you allow him to be your hope? Will you trust in him? Will you believe in him for all things at all times? What is God's plan? Well, first of all, we want to remind ourselves that God's plan is his person. God is the plan. And in this chapter, chapter 61 most people most theologians commentators on the Bible they would say there's kind of three voices in, in, in this and I know sometimes this is why the Bible gets a little bit tricky and you're kind of like I have no idea what's going on and who's speaking uh, but at the beginning the one who is saying the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me we well, might say well upon who I read the Bible to you this morning does that mean it's me well you know God might work out some of these things in me but principally it's not me who is this person and you know many people would say oh could it be this person could it be Isaiah the prophet could it be Uh, well here's some good reasons why we can believe that God's person who he is is the plan firstly of all we've had this one a sovereign conqueror introduced to us in chapter 59 he's there in chapter 63 we saw it as well have a look at it for yourself listen to the podcast from two weeks ago if you want the help um this person he is the sovereign conqueror the one who comes and he's mighty and he's strong and he's capable and he's glorious and he's victorious and so this this one who's been introduced to us when these words are spoken by somebody we can we can start to think oh well maybe it's this person this sovereign conqueror but here's where we find the complete um, understanding of who this is because in Luke chapter 4 verses 16 to 21 you' can Look at it for yourself. I think Favour could bring it up on the screen, no doubt. Uh, But in these verses, we find Jesus... Jesus, come into our world, come into a a real circumstance amongst real people. He goes to a synagogue with Jewish brothers and sisters and the scroll is opened and there it is, Isaiah, but they didn't have it written down as chapter 61. I don't know how long it took them to find it in those days. Sounds really hard, doesn't it? If I didn't have chapter and verse, I'd be totally lost. Uh, But they find things pretty quick. They're really good at this. And they find it and Jesus reads these words. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. It's up there, is it? Keep going, favor. Get to the, there we go. There's the words. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. And Jesus recites, repeats these words. And then keep going, favor. Onto it. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, sat down. Everyone's looking at him. That's that's what it is to be Jesus. (laughs) All eyes on Jesus. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus says, has there been any doubt? Is there any confusion? It's me. That's what Jesus says. He says, I am the plan." I am the sovereign conqueror. I am the anointed one. I'm the one who brings all of God's hope into the world. We understand, don't we, that Jesus is God. He is the one who was and is and is to come. And so he is the one who can say this. It has been fulfilled. Jesus doesn't come into our world and say, I really like these words in Isaiah 61. And, you know, I really believe that the heart of God and, uh, you know, let's just pray about it and maybe we'll see some aspects of it and some things about the kingdom of God. We pray like that sometimes, don't we? We, You know, we we recognise sometimes our inadequacy and and sometimes our faith is a a little faltering. Is it just me? Anybody else? Help me out here. Anyone else sometimes, sometimes, you know, we just kind of, oh, I not Jesus, he says all of it, the whole here, all of God's kingdom, all of his plan, all of who he is now, fulfilled, not partially filled, the whole thing, Jesus is the answer. He is our light he is the one who causes us to arise and shine. He is the one most perfectly full of the Spirit of God who inaugurates the fullness of the kingdom of God. He brings restoration, deliverance. He brings grace. He brings retribution. And he does it all, verse 3 of chapter 61 of Isaiah, as the display of the splendor of God. Are you keen on the splendor of God? Are you keen on it? Or oh, he's He's good what does the kingdom of God look like I want to take just a minute or two to consider some of the things of the kingdom as he has spoken by the anointed one the anointed one that's what the Jews called the Messiah in Greek it's the Christ that's why we call him Jesus Christ the anointed one the very particular anointing for a particular purpose the one and the only Jesus what has he done to do what has he come to do well Firstly, he comes to bring or to proclaim or to preach good news, and um, it's good news. We talk about the gospel. It's good news, and and we talked about that a little bit last week, talking about well, if it doesn't sound like good news, is it really good news? Challenge yourself as to what you're telling people is is hope in Jesus. But it's really interesting. That Jesus, the anointed one, he says, I'm going to come to bring good news to the poor. What's that about? I, I, did, did some of Isaiah's hearers, if they're like maybe got if they're a bit wealthier, they're like, What am I excluded? I don't know. Did Jesus speaking in the synagogue? Maybe there were some wealthy people there, did they think, hang on? Hang, hang on. on. Why, what? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Do you hear this? And you think, well, I, I'm maybe not wealthy, but I'm not poor. I, what, what's going on here? What, what is going on here? I mean, globally speaking, you know, we, we, we are amongst the wealthy. I know that's a funny thing to say because some of us in our society, we don't feel wealthy. But each and every one of us here in the UK pretty much, we're amongst the top 4% of the, of the most wealthy in the world. That's a funny kind of thing to correct our, our minds, isn't it? Um, living here, um, it's a funny old thing. Why is Jesus saying this? Why is this prophesied about the coming of Jesus? What does this look like? Well, you know, I think it's abundantly clear from the Bible, uh, from the words of prophecy, from, the, from the, the law even of God, but then certainly from the person, the work of Jesus, that God is not satisfied with the way that wealth and indeed most things are distributed in our lives. World. That God sees lack and need, the lack and the need of the many, and He sees this as the same thing as oppression. In verse 8 of what we read in chapter 61, we heard God saying, I, the Lord, love justice. I love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. In another way of rendering that, it says, I hate robbery and burnt offerings. This is a common refrain of the Bible. God says, you can't deal with one another unjustly and then come and pretend to worship me. Because it is just a pretense. He says, there has to be justice with worship. These things come together. And that the heartbeat of God is for those who find themselves on the wrong end of injustice. The heartbeat of God is for those who find themselves hurting and in places of lack or of need. It might be in the scriptures, another way of rendering this, this sense of good news to the poor is good news to the afflicted it might broaden the sense of it but let's particularly um, consider uh, why God says this about the poor you know maybe we find this a hard thing to deal with and, and many, many do and, and they perhaps would highlight that, that Jesus said, Matthew twenty six eleven. he said you'll always have the poor with you some people think that that's an excuse not to care I'm not quite sure that's why Jesus was saying what he was saying on another occasion, the scriptures there, we've got um, different people bringing their offerings. and have got one bringing this incredibly splendid offering of their incredible wealth. Jesus is not moved or impressed by it. Rather, there's a widow in the old version of the scriptures. They bring a mite, just this tiny little offering, just a couple of little copper coins maybe, something small, seeming insignificant, but she brings all that she could give, Everything. her heart to pour it out Jesus highlights that as you know this is the appropriate this is the 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 wonderful act of worship but he doesn't say anything about her circumstance he doesn't say well because she worshipped she's going to go home and there'll be a hundred quid on her doormat I don't know maybe we think that's how it should be well why you know if, if she kind of pops that in shouldn't she go home and you know suddenly find that there's like you know a maserati parked outside the front door or something like that i don't know last week i was joking about the, preaching the good news and i said mikey um he talked about kfc of they're now selling bottles of supercharger sauce and i described the wonder of these things to you and then this week guess what i received I received a bottle of supercharger sauce. And um, and, and I was really pleased about that. We've put it pretty much on everything we've eaten this week. Um, It's been really good. Um, But it did occur to me that maybe this week I should say that I don't have a Maserati. And then maybe, no, that way it wouldn't work, would it? And um, it's not how God works at all. We hear about poverty in the scriptures and we're like, well, why doesn't God just kind of click his fingers? why doesn't he just click his fingers and change things Jesus says I'm going to bring good news to the poor or the afflicted can't you just click your fingers and change things it doesn't seem that that's how God is going to operate indeed God does meet need On one occasion, there's five thousand men plus women and kids, and they've they've gathered to hear um, Jesus speak. You know, it's like in the synagogue, all eyes on Jesus because he speaks life, and he's glorious. And they've come out there, and they're far from home, and uh, they didn't really know how long Jesus was going to talk, but they didn't want to go home. They've not brought lunch, and they've not brought tea, and everyone's getting hungry. And Jesus says, "Come on, go feed them to the disciples." because his heart is to meet the need and they say we haven't got that kind of cash because our mind doesn't understand the kingdom but a little lad has his packed lunch with him his loaves and fishes you remember the story no doubt and he brings it and because the mind of the disciples isn't on the kingdom they scoff at it and they laugh and they say it's not nearly enough we've just got this little scrap of food and Jesus says that's it. And Jesus partners with a little lad because that's how he works. And Jesus partners with this little lad and he blesses it and he tells the disciples even in their ignorance to go and pass the food to another and the food gets passed from hand to hand to hand, and all of a sudden there's enough for thousands of people to the extent that there are 12, not lunch boxes, but baskets of leftovers. And God is the miracle worker, and He provides for need. But this story is all about partnership, and it's all about surrender. And it's all about how God brings the kingdom to bear through his partnership with people who love him, will listen to him, will learn from him and will go in what he seeks to do. You know, maybe none of us here this morning, you know, I said, globally speaking, we're wealthy. Maybe none of us would consider ourselves massively wealthy. I tell you, you're a lad with a packed lunch. You are. You've got, you've, got, you've got some loaves and fishes. Maybe not literally. You wouldn't bring fish to church. It would stink a little bit. But you know what I mean? I'm sure you do. You've got this. And when Jesus invites you to be a part of the kingdom of God coming, good news to the poor, we don't get this opportunity to say, I've got nothing. Or, Jesus, would you have me give up everything? Like the disciples were kind of saying. We are the lads, please God who comes with our packed lunch and we hand it over this is hand to hand stuff this is not Christians praying from a million miles away and saying, Oh God, would you somehow meet the need somewhere else, doing something else through someone else, please God? Because I don't want to be the person. This is hand to hand stuff. This is how the kingdom comes. It comes hand to hand. It comes when a lad brings his pack lunch and puts it in the hand of an Andrew, and an Andrew puts it in the hand of a Jesus, and a Jesus puts it in the hand of the Father, and the Father says, Okay, now put it in the hand of the disciples, and the disciples put it in the hand of the first people in the crowd who you know are the kind of people who are always at the front of queues whenever there's food Uh, they're just eager people hungry people it's not a bad thing to be and they take it and they're really good they don't eat it all but they take some and they break it and they pass it to the next one hand to hand to hand at what point do you think it dawned upon somebody that this loaf should be done by now I love this don't you love this because the loaves weren't as big as this room it's not like they were rolling it down the hill and people were grabbing a bit as it went by it's a loaf it's a, it's a hovis sliced whole grain and they're passing it down and it should get finished by the 5th, 10th, 15th, 20th person but it keeps going and this is the miracle and it's glorious and the kingdom comes hand to hand just for a moment there I wanted to tell you to stop praying for the kingdom to come and that's not quite right because Jesus tells us to do that but don't pray for it in this way that you think that it's just going to happen somewhere somehow pray for the kingdom to come and then hand to hand the kingdom It's hand to hand combat the kingdom coming this is how it works and we think oh God don't disrupt me in what I've got. You know, just God, if you really care about the poor, just you know, become a community organizer, Jesus, or or go into politics. Do something. Would you just do that, Jesus? It'd be neater and easier, and we could just like, you know, vote for you or something. No. <laughs> Jesus comes hand to hand. And the kingdom comes. And his hand isn't clicking its fingers. Although gloriously in and through his person he brings the miracle but he chooses he chooses to come in humanity as well you know if Jesus just wanted it to be the clicking of the fingers he probably would have been hovering six foot off the ground somewhere else and just kind of mysteriously you know pronouncing the miracle but he doesn't he's physically involved it doesn't say so in the bible but I imagine he had a bite of fish himself Jesus seemed to like having fish suppers he did fish breakfasts. in fact he's all about fish and bread he's all in this hand to hand how about you? how about me? so Jesus he talks to a rich young lad who comes to him and the rich young lad he's done everything right and he wants God to click his fingers and and Jesus says to him, no, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. This is how the good news comes to the poor. And then he says, come and follow me. And the, the lad can't do it because he's really rich. It's just, it's not a reason, it's just a truth. And then he commands a, a fraudulent tax collector to get out of a tree because that's ridiculous and come and have dinner with him and bring all his mates he doesn't have any mates so he just brings other people that he knows from work and, and he's so changed that he, he gives all the money back to the people that he's defrauded and then sets up a charitable foundation um, for all the other people around and about him who have needs because he can do this and the kingdom of God comes to the poor and then there's another tax collector and we don't know whether this guy's a good guy or a bad guy we just don't know but Jesus walks past his tax collecting booth and he says that's not how the kingdom of God's going to come come and follow me and so Matthew just gets up and he leaves everything everything how much tax did he collected that day? I don't know but I don't imagine it got collected for very long (laughs) I think it got collected by someone else somebody probably comes along and just snaffles that but Matthew doesn't care anymore because he's like, this is, this is Isaiah 61. I don't care about anything else anymore. This is being fulfilled in my hearing. And he sees Jesus and he's like, I'll follow you because here's the good news. Here's the good news. Where is your good news today? Where's your good news? I'm told that there's a kind of a traditional French story about a millionaire in his palace who spent his days counting his gold. Um, Beside the palace, though, was a, a poor cobbler who spent his days singing as he repaired people's shoes. The joyful singing irritated the rich man. I don't think he was very joyful. One day, the rich man decided to give some gold coins to the cobbler. At first, the cobbler was overjoyed, and he took the coins and hid them. But then he would be worried, and he would go back over and over to check if the coins were still there. Then he would be worried in case somebody had seen him going to check on the coins, and so then he would have to move the coins and hide them in another place, and then he would be worried that, about them there, and then he would go and have to check them, and then he'd be worried that somebody had seen him checking them there, and he'd have to hide them, some, and so on, and so on, and so on. During all of this... He stopped singing. Then one day, he realized, the story goes, that he had ceased to sing because of the gold coins. He took them back to the rich man and said, take back your coins and give me back my songs. You know, we think in our understanding that these kinds of transactional givings or receivings or havings or not havings or what it is about, but it is not about any such thing. It's about the blessed people of God, hand-to-hand, hand-to-hand, that we might inspire the singing of the praises of God. You know, we must ask, not only how is Jesus bringing the fullness of his kingdom to bear in this world, but how has he asked me to be a part of that can I just quickly read again those first few verses from Isaiah 61? Here we have the spirit of the Lord God upon Jesus. The Lord has anointed him to bring good news to the poor. What else? To bind up the broken hearted. Does anybody want to join Jesus in that? That doesn't happen transactionally. You can't do that at distance. Nobody's broken heart gets healed by you know, somebody just kind of throwing something at it. Oh no, you've got to get up close. What else? To proclaim liberty to the captives. Do you want to megaphone the liberty to the captives? Or do you want to whisper it tenderly into their ear as you lead them out of prison? How do you want to do this? How does Jesus do this? And, and, and then again, in my version, it says the opening of the prison to those who are bound. In other versions, it talks, many of you will know this, about the, the bringing of sight to the blind. Let's go with that, eh? Come on. Jesus, he, he does he does this in many different ways. But he speaks sight to the blind, but it's up close and personal. How else does he do it? I'm not recommending this, but he spits in dirt, makes mud, and then slaps that in people's eyes, and he brings sight to them that way. That's a bit hand-to-hand. It's hand-to-eye. It was spit-to-eye, actually. i um, not saying that I recommend that technique, but it's pretty personal, isn't it? just hocking a loogie into somebody's eye goodness me Jesus could you not do it a bit more neat and tidy we're neat and tidy kind of people Jesus is not neat and tidy if you know him at all you probably know this already Jesus is really messy does anybody want to get messy thinking about it don't know this is how he does it this is how the kingdom comes this is how the kingdom comes ask yourself this Is my life good news to those who are poor around me, afflicted around me? More, am I tenderly bringing the heart healing of Jesus to the hurting around me? Ask yourself this Am I praying for the blind? Do you pray for the miraculous to happen? It's the way of Jesus. I was really convicted about this. How many times do I pray for the miraculous? And not at a distance but up close and personal with people because miracles are quite obviously needed all the time. All the time. Okay. This is really important for us to allow God to work the truth of this into our hearts. Now move on. As we move into verses three and four, here is the voice of the, the, the anointed one and he's speaking to us then we start to, 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 to know as 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 um as the ministry of the anointed one is, is is spoken of, here again then we move back to the voice of the prophet and we hear what God is doing to his people. Okay? It's a wonderful contrast. He gives us beauty instead of ashes. These are good places to say Amen. All right, if you want any of these things. <laughs> it's your beauty instead of ashes. This is good stuff. Does anybody want the oil of gladness instead of mourning? The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit? that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Here's what God wants to do in in his people. They shall build up the ancient ruins, raise up the former devastations, repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the prophetic uh, word of God to his people. And Isaiah speaks these things to a a small, overlooked, regularly put-upon nation, And these things must have sounded so good. So good. You are that nation. And come on, hear these things. This is God's good news to you. He wants to do these things in you. Come on, has your life been in a season of mourning? He wants to do this in your life to bring you gladness. He wants to bring you beauty instead of ashes. That you might be a part of rebuilding in the kingdom of God. This is really good stuff. I want to ask you are you content just to have the nice things of God? As one commentator puts it, do you want to be a better Christian? Or do you want to be a slave of Christ? Do you want to be like Jesus? Or do you just want to be a bit neater and tidier as a Christian? and have some nice moments when we worship God what do you want? now it's quite obvious that these things don't come easy if gladness comes in the place of mourning then there must be a place of mourning if beauty comes in the place of ashes then there must be the place of ashes we might prefer it and that we bypass the sadness and grief of this life in favour of the goodness and grace to come, but God has not made it so. You hear me say it so often, but I say it because I, I want you to—I want you to be um, uh, not um, unaware, but also I want you to be encouraged in Christ. John sixteen thirty-three. You know Jesus is saying these things that you may be encouraged, but in this world he says you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Come on, I hope you know that by now. I hope you know that scripture, come on. We're not about fluff and nonsense here. We're about realities and truth and being joyful in the Lord. There will be mourning, but then there will be gladness. This is how it goes. This is how it is for Jesus. To follow him, to become like him and to minister in his kingdom. It is to journey through the cross. He says, take up your cross and follow me. To see how what this world might mean for evil, God means for life good in Romans chapter 5 Paul speaks and he says these words he says in verse 3 not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us You know, we don't rejoice in the sufferings, the mournings, the ashes, these these troublesome things, these painful things of life because we're idiots. You know, many people in this world, they'll think that you're a nutter for being a Christian. You know, we're foolish for being Christians, but we're not idiots. We rejoice in these sufferings because it is by means of these things that God works his goodness in our lives. Romans goes on to say that while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Come on, Christian. Embrace the weakness. We want to live always on the top of the mountains where it's glorious and good. You know, those glorious kind of spiritual experiences. uh, Somebody said to me, they said nothing really grows on the top of mountains. And the higher they are and more splendid they seem, the less grows up there. Stuff grows in the valley. That's where stuff grows. You know, we just want to kind of be up there on the top of the craggy peak, having a fine old time and looking down at everything. That's not how it goes, Christian. We go through valleys and stuff grows. This is how the kingdom comes. And one more thing. Back in Isaiah 61, if we're willing to be these kinds of people, how does God describe us? How does he say that we might be? He says that you and I, the chosen people of God, they might be oaks of righteousness. Verse 3, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Um, I've said it to you many times. I know very little about plants, except that I can kill them. That's about it. Um, that's just the way of it. I have the opposite to a green thumb. Is it a black thumb? I don't know. Um, but plants that they do not no, we don't get on well. But I know this: Oaks don't come quickly. That's true, right? It takes a while. God does not here say that you might be acorns of righteousness. Or saplings of righteousness. He certainly doesn't say that you might be weeds of righteousness, oaks of righteousness. It takes a while. It takes a while to become, be these people who are bringing the kingdom of God. Are you in this? Are you in this? Are you journeying in this? Do you want to keep going in this? Christianity, it's been said that it's a long obedience in the same direction. You know, if you came here this morning for some flash-in-the-pan kind of what's-it, if you thought that maybe Pastor Greg might just click his fingers and everything might be okay, can I disabuse you of this? We're here for a long obedience in the same direction. You know, we're here to journey with Jesus. And do you know what? You know, he lived on this earth 33-something years. And he chose to get invested in it. And he, he ministered publicly three-something years with a real ragtag bunch of folks who would all pretty much deny him, run away from him and be a part of the betrayal of him. You know, this is not just kind of moments. This is not some sort of click your fingers and, and let's see how it all works out. This is, this is invested. This is how Jesus brings the kingdom to bear. Anybody want to be an oak? And the chapter goes on, and time doesn't permit, but the chapter goes on to talk about everything that comes as a blessing to these kinds of people. These kinds of people who know their God. The, 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 the anointed one who ushers in the fullness the, all of the kingdom. And they're like, yeah, God, take my little acorn and grow it up, would you please? I'm not going to snatch it back or... I'm not going to, you know, pitch up my roots and kind of run off somewhere. I'm here. I'm stuck in. And and what does God lavish upon these people? Here's how it goes: verse five of chapter sixty-one. Strangers are going to come and tend your flocks. Foreigners will plow your fields and take care of your vines. Here's what you get to do: you shall be priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations. Anyway, I don't know whether that means that we get to eat more foreign food. I don't know. I like a curry as much as the next man. Uh, more than the next man nine times out of ten actually. Uh, but you know, Eating the wealth of the nations. actually God pours in everything of the glory of creation into his chosen people. And in their glory you shall boast. No longer shame. That was what they'd experienced. But now if they're restored to him double portion. This is incredible. Instead of dishonor, no. Now rejoicing. Oh, this is good. God is doing justice to his people. That's what he's starting to deliver. Why is he pouring all of this in? Why is he pouring this into his people? There it is. Verse 6. Here's why. You're going to be the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of God. God's chosen people get to minister God's kingdom into the world. This is how it should ever have been. Ever. Exodus chapter 19 verse 6. God said to his people all the way back then he said. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. But not just the people of Israel. Verse 5. For all the earth is mine. This is how he, how he meant it from the beginning. Isaiah says through the anointed one. It's coming. It's coming. How does it look for you and for me? First Peter chapter 2. This is how it is now. Verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God wants to pour his goodness into people who want to be like Jesus so that they can do his work in the world. That's what he's always wanted, it's what he wants now. And it's possible more fully now than it ever was because of the person of Jesus. And he says to you, you're mine. Come on, if you give your life to Christ, he says, you're mine. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. A chosen people. This is incredible. And he says, everything that Isaiah promised, just the wealth of nations poured into God's people so that we might. And you say, well, I'm not very wealthy. (laughs) Aren't you? Aren't you? Have you met Jesus? Have you given your life to Christ? Is your life now hidden in God? Has he blessed you with the grace of salvation? Has he washed away your sins? Has he come into your life by means of his spirit? Dare we say we are not wealthy? Oh, Christian, I-, I love for you to have a healthy bank balance. You can pray about it if you want. But consider this before all things and in all things and at the end of all things. Who are you in Jesus? Because, you know, when you start to walk down your street, you walk down your street full of the very presence of God. And you are the one in your street who has more than any other. I tell you. I tell you. I joked before, but even if there's a Maserati park next door, you have more. Because you have Christ Jesus. The very hope of glory within you. What are you longing for, Christian? What are you longing for, follower of Jesus? Come on, are you longing to bring this, to proclaim this good news to the afflicted? Because if it's Jesus in you that will bring sight to the blind, it's Jesus in you that leads people out of captivity. I tell you what, it's nothing else in you that will do these things. But you surrendering all that you have brings all that he has, hand to hand, hand to hand. The kingdom of God comes. I love the kingdom of God. Which is why I want Jesus to come. Because I want all of it. But Jesus said pray now. Your kingdom come God and your will be done as it is in heaven. And Jesus doesn't ask us to pray thinking that's a really good prayer but it's never going to happen. He didn't tell you to pray it. Thinking, ah, oh, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice sentiment. You no, know, he asked you to pray it because it's true and real and it can be for today. And so I thought we should pray now. Tina, would you come and, and lead us again? Tina's really good, isn't he? I know uh, he's been leading us very well. Would you stand with me? Let's stand if you can. And um, look, here's what we can do. when we come to the close of our gathering you're going to have opportunity to present um, your tithes and your offerings to God and to do so according to what God has laid upon your heart and that's good Um, but before we give our finances, let's give our whole lives. should we do that? because I think that's really good so would you perhaps close your eyes just for a moment or two And let's do this. And God, we say, and can I invite you to say this within your own heart? God, your kingdom come, please, Lord. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you just pray that for yourself if you would like to do that. God, all of your kingdom to come, God, here and now, please, as it is in heaven.